We can turn to Luke 5:27. I'm going to this is kind of a longer passage. I'm just going to read it as we go along today. So let's let's pray and then we'll dive in. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word and pray that you would help today as we um, look into it, that you would um, help me as I preach, that you'd help, you'd help all of us as we want to um, uh, li- listen and um, understand and submit. Uh, so we pray that you would help us, God, and for, for your own glory. It's in uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we, we've got um, three stories today in our passage. Um, I'm, I'm uh, going to do, do three stories. Actually, it's, it's kind of like four stories. I'm calling it three stories. The last story is kind of a couple different parts to it. But we have three stories today we're going to look at. And each of the stories um, has the same central conflict. There is a... Um, there is a conflict in each one of these stories. The, each one of these stories has the same characters. It's, it's Jesus versus the Pharisees. And each of these stories have the same underlying question, which is, the, the question is, who has control of the stamp of approval? Who has control of the stamp of approval? See, for a while now, the Pharisees, their, their claim to fame was that they had control of the stamp of approval. At least they, they felt like they did. In their own minds, they were the ones who decided who God approved of. They were the ones who decided which people were righteous, which people weren't. They decided who was right with God, what it, what it meant to, to live a, a holy life, what it meant to be a faithful Jew. They decided who was honoring God and, and who wasn't. They had the stamp of approval. At least they, they thought they did. And many people looked to them to, to know how to be holy, how to be a faithful religious person, how to be right with God, how to be approved by God. But then Jesus shows up and, and over and over again we see Jesus Saved. He, he's declaring with the whole way he does everything. He, in a, in a, in a variety of, of methods, he declares to anybody who has ears to hear, you don't need the Pharisees. You don't need their stamp of approval. We're gonna see that, um, today. Three, three stories. Let's look at these stories one by one and let's see this unfold. Story number one, Jesus brings sinners in. Story one, Jesus brings sinners in. Chapter five, starting verse 27, says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees 
hated this. See, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is just, he, he is just bringing this tax collector in. He's just kind of making this tax collector one of his followers. Uh, this is a, he's, he's essentially by saying, you know, Levi is one of my followers now. Le- Levi is now, he's, he's righteous before God. He's in. Uh, he, he's in. He's a repentant sinner. This tax collector. The Pharisees, the, the, the Pharisees couldn't stand this. Uh, you, you can't just bring a tax collector in off the street and then he's just good to go. You can't do that. A tax collector would have never, ever received the Pharisee's stamp of approval. The tax collector, he worked right for the Roman Empire. He just, he, he collected his, his paycheck from the Roman Empire. And most of them were, were, these tax collectors were cheats and thieves. They, they were getting rich, uh, not only from their, from their Roman paycheck, but, but they would, they would overcharge on taxes. Uh, and then they would pocket the, the money that they didn't send to Rome. No Jews liked them. You would have never seen any tax collectors worshiping at the temple. You wouldn't even, uh, if you were a tax collector, you wouldn't be allowed to testify in court because no one believed you. Everybody just assumed you were a liar. And they, they were friends with uh, all kinds of immoral, unfaithful people. They were sinners. And Jesus is just declaring here, that the only thing Levi, this tax collector, needs is him. Levi just needs Jesus. He just needs to trust and follow Jesus. That's all he needs. He doesn't need to figure out what the, what the Pharisees think of him. He doesn't need to jump through their hoops. He doesn't need to submit to their teaching. He doesn't need to conform to their ideas. He doesn't, he doesn't need their stamp of approval. He just needs Jesus. The only difference between Levi and acceptance before God is Jesus. Pharisees can't deal with that. That's, that's no good. And then Jesus makes it even worse by, by having, by, by eating, eating with these tax collectors and these sinners. He, he eats and drinks with them. He, he reclines at table with them. He, he is, he fellowships with them. Levi, as soon as he, um, follows Jesus. He wants all of his other tax collector friends to know Jesus. He wants, you gotta come meet this guy. You got, and so he hosts this big dinner, and he has Jesus and his disciples, and he has all these sinners and tax collectors, and Jesus just goes and eats with them. And the message Jesus is declaring for anybody and everybody is, you don't need to clean yourself up before I'll come to you. You don't need to jump through the Pharisees' hoops. All you need is me. Pharisees don't like that at all. Because Jesus is just... For anybody who has ears to hear, Jesus is saying, you don't need the Pharisee's stamp of approval. You just need me. Story two, Jesus rejects the old wineskins. Jesus rejects the old wineskins. Verses 33-39, through 39, And they said to Him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and, and the piece from the new will not match the old. 
And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, no, and no one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says the old is good. This is a, this is a strong warning to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, they don't like that Jesus is eating and drinking with sinners, but then also, they just, they don't like that he's eating and drinking so much. The, the Pharisees are saying, you and your disciples don't fast enough. So, so fasting was a big part of Judaism. It was a, it was a regular part of their year. They had certain times where they would fast. According to Old Testament, um, uh, uh, Old Testament regulations, you had certain times throughout the year that you would fast. Fasting was a big deal. And the Pharisees, they had added even more fasting times to their calendar. So this is what the Pharisees loved to do. They loved to make sure that you were obeying the law. And so what they did was they added extra laws to it just to make sure that you kept the law. Just to make sure that you fasted enough. They instituted like this Monday fast and this Thursday fast. They were just adding fasts to the, to the Jewish calendar. Um, because they wanted to make sure that people went above and beyond, and they did all the outward external things. They don't want any law missed. So, so here's what the Pharisees were doing, and this is important for us to think about um, today, just for, our, for ourselves. What the Pharisees loved to do was they loved to make possible application a rule of life. Alright, so... So if you open up your Bible, you're going to find all kinds of commands there. And and the, the commands in the Bible have obvious application. So there's a difference between obvious application and possible applications. Alright, so if you read the command, do not covet, I, I, can, I can break that down for you and tell you what that command means. And this is, I mean, I did a lot of study, and it means do not covet. Like, I, I mean, I got to the old languages, I, I, I assaulted some commentaries, I mean, I consulted some commentaries, I, uh, you know, I, 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 did, I did the top-level thinking for you guys, because I care for you, uh, I wanted to bring the best. Do not covet means don't covet. If you're thinking, I should covet, no, don't. Don't do it. Don't covet. That's the, that's the obvious application of that text. Don't sit around desiring what other people have. Don't be bitter against people because of what they have and you don't have it. Don't fantasize about taking something that belongs to someone else. Don't covet. Be content. Don't covet. That's the obvious application. Now, a possible application, you could come to me and say, um, Steve, here's what helps me to stop coveting. I, I don't, I, re- I refuse to watch uh, commercials on television. Now, I don't watch commercials on television anyhow because I don't, I, I just don't watch live television anymore. Just, I get entertainment elsewhere. So, but, but I don't, I'm not gonna watch, this is what you come to me and you say, I, I'm not gonna watch commercials on TV because if I do, it causes me to covet. It tempts me to covet. It makes it a lot more difficult for me to stop coveting. Well, that's fine. That's a possible application of that passage. That's a, that's a, if you want to do that in your personal life, that's fine. But don't make that a rule of life for other people. Don't say, now if you guys watch television commercials, you're not as holy as I am. Don't do that. 
Because you've made a possible application a rule of life. The Pharisees loved to do this. I mean, this is where they made their money. They were all about the possible application and just loading them on people and telling people, if you don't, if you don't interpret this the way we do, and if you don't take the extra steps we take, uh, you're, just not, you're just not holy. Pharisees loved to do this. And they were doing this with fasting. They were saying, Jesus, you guys, you guys don't fast enough. You should be fasting all the time. Like we, we have people fasting on Mondays. We have people fasting on Thursdays. What are you guys doing here? Eating and drinking. It's not, I mean, it's not, it's bad enough that you're eating and drinking with sinners, but now, look, you're just, you just eat and drink way too much. Jesus isn't having any of this. He says, my guys aren't going to fast because I'm here. Jesus says, the bridegroom is here. You don't invite people to a wedding and then make them fast. You don't do that. I've been to some lame weddings. That would be the worst. That would be the worst. Wait, I sat through the whole thing and then you, you have no food for me? What? No, no. And, and back then, it was even, it was even crazier because back then, the, the, the groom and the bride, they would, they would actually officially, legally be married in a way. Their, their engagement was a very official contract. Right? They, they were betrothed to each other, but then they wouldn't consummate their marriage. They wouldn't live together. Um, and they would, the groom would go away and he would get the, the, the home ready for the bride. And then at some time, a lot of times she didn't even know exactly when, he would come and, and, and then that would be the time where they'd have the wedding celebration. It'd be like seven days and they would, they would feast. It would be a good time. It would be like a week-long party. And at the end of the party, then they would consummate their marriage. They would, they would move in together. Um, and so that's the way weddings worked back then. Jesus is saying, the bridegroom is here. It's, it's party time. It's not fasting time. It's a time for joy. It's a time for joy. And then he goes beyond that. And he starts to say some stuff. And now the Pharisees are really, really going to get frustrated with him. Because he is going to just take shots at them. And he says, you, 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 the, the, the new wine is here. Listen to me, Jesus says. The, the new wine is here. And right before he dies, Jesus is going to say, this, the, the, the new covenant is here. It's the, it's the new covenant in my blood. This is what Jesus means by that. The, the, the Old Testament is over. The Old Covenant is over. We don't need the old wineskins anymore. We don't need them anymore. The Old Testament is wonderful. It's a wonderful book. And if you, if you hang around here, I mean, I don't expect you to, but if you do for the next few years, if you don't, if you, you know, whatever, if you stick around and you're going to hear me preach a lot from the Old Testament. I love, I love the Old Testament. I, I usually do a New Testament book and then an Old Testament book. I love the Old Testament. I love it. The Old Testament is a wonderful portion of, of scripture. It, it teaches us about the character of God. It teaches us about the, the, the need for the gospel. It points us forward to the gospel. It, it, it teaches us about faith and obedience and, and God's holiness and God's compassion and God's faithfulness. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture. But Jesus is saying to these Pharisees here that the, the religion of the Old Testament, the temple and the priests and the sacrifices and the fasts, they're, they're over. You don't need the old wineskins. And this is going to take a while for the church to sort this through. You work through the book of Acts, there's a lot of, they, I mean, they, they've got to get some councils together and figure out that this, isn't, this is not an easy transition for the church. 
It's not an easy transition. And the Pharisees don't like it at all here. He's saying the, the, the Old Testament way of doing things is, is over because I'm here. I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You don't need all the ceremonial, all the ritual. You don't need all the temple worship. You don't need that anymore because I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm what all of that was pointing to. I am the point of all of that. All you need is me. Jesus says, all you need is me. And he goes even further to say, if you try to combine trusting and following me with the old ways of doing things, if you try to somehow do some sort of like combined religion where you've got trusting in Jesus with all of the old things of Judaism, you're, you're going to, it's going to burst. It's going to fall apart. It's not going to work. So not only is Jesus saying the Pharisees stamp of approval is it, is, is unnecessary, he's also saying it'll actually keep you out of the covenant of God's grace. Final story. Story number three, and this is, this is the two-part one. I'm just combining it into one story with one heading. Starting in chapter six, we see story number three. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Chapter 6, verses 1-11 through 11 says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. And so this is, they're not stealing. You can, uh, Deuteronomy 23 or 24 or something like that allowed for you to do this. You could, when you were traveling through someone else's field, I mean, you couldn't just take like a, a like a scythe, you know, and, and harvest it in a big, you know, a big wagon full or a big bag full, but you could, you could take a little snack off of what was growing in some other farmer's field. You could do that. That's what they did. Took some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and ate, and ate the grain. Verse two, but some of the Pharisees, who are, <laughs> these dudes are creepy. This is, this is stalker level stuff. You understand? This is, this is weird. Alright? This is weird. But some of the Pharisees said, I mean, because if someone said to me, hey, I saw you walking through a field, why'd you, why'd you do that? Like, that's, no, stop. I'm, I'm just gonna call the cops. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't like, you know, just to hand out restraining orders, but I feel like you've, you've earned one. Alright. Um, but some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So there's a few ways Jesus could have gone with this. I mean, he could have done the restraining order, which would have been my first thing. Like, hey, stop, stop being a creeper. He could have done that. Doesn't do that. Um, and he could have got into the, he could have gotten into like a nitpicky debate with them, which is another thing I would have wanted to do. Like, are you seriously telling me that for my disciples to take grain and to rub it together and to eat a snack, that's work? Are you really gonna say that that's, that constitutes work? Because uh, we can debate that. Jesus doesn't do that either. He doesn't do that. That's, that's what I would have done. He doesn't do it. You will, you will see as we go through the book of Luke, Jesus does all kinds of things, thankfully, that I wouldn't have done. Um, Jesus says to him, you remember how David did whatever he wanted? 
Remember how David went in and did what was technically unlawful? Because he was the king? Jesus says, it's, it's, <laughs> you multiply that by a billion. Jesus says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to interpret Sabbath law how I want to, because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I'm not going to get into a debate with you. I'm not going to take you to court. We're not going to argue over the fine, nitpicky details. I'm going to tell you, no, no. I created the Sabbath. I wrote the thing. I'll abide by it the best way. The Sabbath belongs to me, Jesus said. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Pharisees probably didn't love that. Then verse 6, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see, when again, they're there, they're watching him. Ah, yeah, we got him. This is so weird. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Now, you, you could do, you could, you could provide medical attention to someone whose life was in danger on the Sabbath. The, the Old Testament allowed for that. But this man's life wasn't in danger. So they think they've got Jesus here. Because this, this is a withered hand. It's a bummer. It's really inconvenient. It probably makes this guy's life very difficult. But it's not something he's going to die of. It's not an emergency. He doesn't need triage. It's, it's fine. This could wait until Monday. Or this could wait until Sunday or Monday. This could, wait, this could wait for a few days. Jesus could circle back around and heal him next week. It'd be fine. So the Pharisees are like, ah, we got him. What is, what is he going to do? But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? Dramatic pause. Jesus is, Jesus is, is, he's told the Pharisees that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And now he's going to look at them, he's going to say, are, are you going to tell me, the Son of Man, who has all authority, you're going to tell me, the Lord of the Sabbath, that I can't do good on the Sabbath? That I can't do mercy on the Sabbath? Are you really going to look at me and tell me? Are, are you going to go on the record? Are you going to say that out loud? If you are, this is the time to do it. If you want to be on the record saying, no, don't heal on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus could have gotten into a debate here because I don't think it's work for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus just has to say the word. He's been saying all kinds of words. This is not work for Jesus. And it's not work for this man to stretch out his hand. This, I don't think, you know, you want to get nitpicky about it, they're not breaking any Sabbath law. But Jesus doesn't go there. That's not the argument he has. He's looking at the Pharisees and saying, who's in charge? Who decides what's right and what's wrong? Are you going to decide? No? Okay, then I'm going to heal this guy. And after looking around at them, he said to to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. 
So this is the this is that that subplot that's going to work its way all the way through the book of Luke. The Pharisees and the scribes figuring out what they're going to do with Jesus. They have to do something with him because this is what he has publicly done. He has publicly taken away their claim to fame. Um, some of you have played. You've had the you've had the immense privilege of playing basketball with me, and. Uh, Imagine if I was just going to open up a, a basketball um, camp, you know, like, uh, and I'm just going to give like basketball lessons. You got to pay fifty bucks an hour, and I will come, and I will, and I will. Don't chuckle. Like this, this is, this is a, this is a possible thing. Okay, now stop it. Just listen. And I, and you know, and and you you come and you pay fifty bucks an hour, and I teach you all that I know about basketball, and 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 soon you are, if if nothing else. Uh, about as you know mediocre as you were before. Anyhow, you so you're, um, and so then someone else shows up. They come to my basketball camp and they say, "Steve, let's play one on one." And I don't, I don't, I don't play one on one with you. They will, we'll, we'll play to ten. Uh, we'll make it nine zero your lead at the beginning of the game, and I'll give you the ball first. Yeah, okay. And then they beat me. Everybody leaves my basketball camp. Everybody says, I'm going to go to that guy's basketball camp. He steals all my customers. This is what Jesus is doing. He shows up, and he says, these guys are frauds. They're frauds. Their their one claim to fame isn't a real thing. They're not in charge of what the law means. They're not in charge of who's accepted by God. They're not. In fact, their old ways of doing things are never going to work. It's over. It's over. And so these guys are filled with fury and they're asking themselves, what are we going to do with this guy? What are we going to do with this guy? We have to ask ourselves a few questions too as we wrap up. I have a few application questions for us to ask ourselves uh, this morning as we, as we wrap up the sermon. For starters, are you trusting in Jesus? Jesus did not come for the people who didn't think they needed him. That's what he was saying when he said, I came for the sick, I came for the sinners. I, I, I came, when he says I came for the sinners, he's not saying there are some sinners and some not sinners. He's saying there are people who understand that there are sinners and people who think they're, they're good to go. Jesus said, I have come for those who realize that they are sinners. We're going to see that um, next week uh, when, we, when we talk through some of the Beatitudes. Those, those who understand that they need Christ alone to save them. So are you among that number of people? Are you among those people who, who believe that Jesus Christ and His death on the cross is the only thing that can completely pay for our sin? And, 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 and that he, uh, he alone is our only hope? Have you trusted in Jesus to forgive you of the sins that you have committed? Have you believed? Are you trusting in Jesus? That's, that's our first question we have to ask ourselves. And again, if you're not sure, or if you're, if you're not believing, then, then believe it right now. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. 
He's your only hope to be saved from your sins. You are the sick who needs the physician. You are the sinner who needs the Savior. You are that person. Trust in Jesus. He's your only way to be approved by God. His is the only stamp of approval that matters. And if you have questions about that, come find me. We'll talk. Reach out to us. Talk. So that's the first question. And the second question, are, are you throwing introduction parties for Jesus? Are you throwing introduction parties for Jesus? You guys know what Avon is? Avon, the, the makeup? Like, no? None of you know what Avon? It might not even be in business anymore. I don't know. COVID might have killed it. Anyhow, uh, back in the day, Avon was this thing. And maybe I'm saying it wrong, or maybe I'm thinking of something else, but I, I didn't Google this. But I'm pretty sure my mom used to host Avon parties. So like an Avon lady, it was just like makeup, where I guess they would come to the house. I always escaped way before, so I was never, I was never within the, the blast radius for this. And so I, I, don't, I don't know what hap- actually happened. But I know my mom got free stuff out of it. I don't, but I don't know anything else. So, so she would have an Avon sales lady come in, and, and then she would invite all of her friends and say, come listen to this Avon sales lady. She's going to sell you garbage you don't want. And so then um, so it was great. On a much better level, Levi opens up his home and says, come, you have to meet this guy. You have to meet Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves sinners. Jesus is the one worth following. Jesus is the one, one worth dropping everything and going all in on. Levi wanted his friends to know Jesus, so he threw a party. Is that true in your life? And I don't mean maybe not throwing a party, but are you working hard? Are you doing intentional work at trying to introduce your unbelieving friends to Jesus? Is that a big deal to you? Third question. Are you pushing away from self, the self-righteousness of the Pharisees? Are you pushing away from the self-righteousness of the Pharisees? I'm not saying, are you pushing away from holiness? Jesus is all about us being holy. Uh, Jesus is all about us living lives uh, according to the Scriptures. Jesus is all about holiness. But these guys, they're all about their own interpretation of the law. They're all about taking these possible applications and making them as rules of life for other people. They're all about waiting around to see if someone fails so they can pounce on them. They'd, they'd rather prove Jesus wrong than see a man with a withered hand healed. They could care less about mercy. They're mean. They're angry. And their whole self-worth, listen to this, because this, this is where it gets super personal for us. Their whole self-worth is built on what they do. It's built, it's built on what they do. It's, it's built on, on how well they keep rules. It's, all, it's based on all this extra outside stuff. This is, this, is what this is where their self-worth is. This is where their identity is. This is where their contentment is. This is how they, they when they think, is, does God like me? Does God like me? Does He like me? Well, they answer that with, yeah, because I've done all this stuff. It's a terrible way to live. You cannot have true contentment living that way. If I was, if I, if I needed to paint something on some building 
30 feet in the air. And so my wife says, you, you need to go and buy a ladder. Like, no, 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 no. We've got, we've got lumber in the garage. I'm just going to build my own ladder. Like, those of you who know me, this is, this is worse than me running a basketball camp. All right, this is just, this is doomed to fail. Like, if I built myself a ladder of my own ingenuity, with my own material, my own know-how, my own skill, I would be so afraid I was going to die. I'd climb all the way up there, and I would just be so panicky, anxious the whole time, because I can't build a good enough ladder to stand on. This is how we operate when we are building our own righteousness. When we, when we're, when we're just, when we're building our own resume. When we're building our own acceptance before God. When we're saying, I'm gonna get there, God's gonna like me, I'm gonna feel good about myself, I'm gonna feel good about how God feels about me, I'm gonna get approval, I'm gonna have meaning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be who I wanna be based on my own, like, rule keeping and my own stuff that I do. That's no way to live. We will be panicky and anxious and judgy. We will, we will be, we will be a nervous wreck. We'll never have any kind of contentment. Because there's always this, this constant underlying panic that we're not good enough. So let's ditch all that. Let's say, my only hope for actual righteousness, my only hope to stand approved by God is, is Jesus Christ. His righteousness is what I need. And it doesn't matter. You could pick any 24-hour period of my life. I don't want God to pick any 24-hour period of my life and say, Steve, I'm going to let you into heaven based on those 24 hours. I don't want Him to pick any period in my life. I want Him, I want Him to, to let me into heaven based on Jesus, His righteousness, His obedience, His sacrifice. That's my only hope. And if I keep that in my mind, because we just got to keep saying that to ourselves. This is not, I, I, I did not build this ladder. I cannot build this ladder. This is all Jesus. There's a lot of joy there. Which brings us to our last question. Are you pursuing joy in Jesus? Are you pursuing joy in Jesus? Jesus says to these Pharisees, the bridegroom has come. Smile. Smile. Rejoice. Enjoy life. Be happy. I'm not going to invite you to a wedding party and then just rip away all your food and play sad music. We rejoice. We remember that Jesus has endured the shame and the curse and the agony of the cross so that He could save us from our sins. He came right down to where us sinners are and He saved us. So we rejoice. This is how we strive for holiness. This is how we fight against sin. We don't knock the Pharisees because they, they wanted to fight against sin. We knock the Pharisees because they got it wrong. They didn't understand what sin was. Jesus is going to unpack that for them as we go through the book of Luke. And they had no idea how to go to war against sin. Jesus said, we go to war against sin with joy, with, with this confidence in our Savior with delight in our Savior. Like, the more we delight in Jesus, we, we don't want to splash around in the shallow, falling away pleasures of sin. This is how we turn away from sin, is we exalt in our Savior. We rejoice in our Savior. We want more and more of Jesus. We want to honor our Savior. We want to enjoy Jesus. We want to make much of Jesus. That's our life. That's what, that's what we love. That's, that's, that's how we rejoice. 
you and I have much to cry about. We do. We do. I mean, we can share stories and we can, there's lots of stuff for us to sorrow over. But the Bible says that we sorrow while rejoicing. We sorrow while we rejoice because, because we have lots to, 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 to be sorry about, to, to be sad about. We have lots that grieves us, but we have even more to rejoice in. What we have to rejoice in outweighs what we have to, to sorrow in. And one day, I feel like probably every Luke sermon, I'm going to wrap it up with this because it's, there's just so many, so many commercials in the book of Luke about what's coming in the new heavens and the new earth. One day, we're going to recreate this scene the scene that the Pharisees hate so much, the scene where, where Jesus is eating with a bunch of sinners. But in that day, it's going to be sinners who, by God's grace, are now repentant sinners because Jesus came for us. We'll be ex-sinners. We'll, we'll be people who should have been long ago cast into outer darkness, but we've been saved. All we needed was Christ, and He gave Himself for us. I mean, we're going to be sitting next to each other and we're going to be saying, I can't believe I'm here. I mean, I can't believe you're here, but I can't believe I'm here either. A bunch of tax collectors and sinners. So let's rejoice, church. Let's follow Jesus. Let's fight against sin. Let's rejoice. We have a Savior who eats with tax collectors and sinners. He has come and saved us. And one day we will gather around the table with Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, for these stories in the book of Luke. And, and as, just, this, is, this is how it often is. We get going through these stories and, and, and there's just so much that we could talk about. We get into these stories and, and we realize this could be a, a series of sermons. There's just so much good in here. We, we thank You, God, that Jesus came and He demonstrated clearly that our only hope to be approved by You is, is Him. It's in, it's in Jesus. It's in His righteousness, His life, His sacrifice, His death, and His glorious resurrection. Help that to become just more and more real to us. Help that truth to be an active part of our day. Something that we are thankful for actively. That we meditate on. Something that we're, we're anxious to tell other people about. Pray that you would, you would work in us and through us. We thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.